Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today, sponsored by Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona. This is Kai Repschult, your host. And today we'll be uh, doing part 28 of our study of the book of Acts, which uh, I call by byline the spreading of the gospel. And we're starting in the 20th chapter. Um, and we left off in our last lesson with, uh, with uh, a unlawful assembly after the silversmiths in Ephesus were upset because so many people were becoming Christians. It was impacting the purchase of the idols that they made and how they had been sent home by one of the chief officers of the city, uh, giving them a lawful way to uh, adjudicate their dispute uh, instead of using mob violence. So we will start today in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. Let's, uh, let's open with some prayer. Lord, we thank you for um, the opportunity we have uh, to uh, listen and study uh, your revelation to us. We thank you for those who obediently listen to you, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. We thank you for the people who preserved it down through the centuries. And we thank you for those who diligently try to translate it as close to the meaning of the original language as is possible in languages that we understand. Help us to take advantage and, and appreciate all that effort as well as your providential care of it as we pay attention and listen and let the Holy Spirit show us how to apply this truth in our own lives. Amen. So here we are, chapter 20 of the book of Acts. So after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy of Titius, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. So here, uh, last broadcast, we talked about Paul's plan to uh, travel through Macedonian Greece to receive the collection for offerings these churches had gathered uh, in order to relieve some of the economic distress of the destitute brethren who were living 
in Judea and Jerusalem. Paul's plan was to collect these from the several churches, both in Macedonia and in Greece, and bring the offering personally to Jerusalem. Uh, Part of that reasoning was uh, it was very important to the people as an act of compassion, but it was also important because it was a statement from the believing Gentiles to the believing Jews in Judea. That yes, indeed, these Gentiles were responding to the gospel and were acting as faithful brothers and sisters. And that was an important message that Paul needed to deliver to the Jews, the believing Jews in Judea and Jerusalem. So here he is beginning to execute that plan. His plan is collect the monies, deliver them to Jerusalem, then from Jerusalem to travel to Rome, and from Rome to travel on to Spain, because the people of Spain had not yet heard the gospel. And Paul zealously tried to preach the gospel to people who had never heard it before. And Paul learns of a plot while he's in Greece from Jews, and this plot is probably to murder him. So instead of going by sea, which was the original plan, he changes the plan and goes up into Macedonia first and then catches a ship uh, and, and travels from Philippi to Troas, which is on the coast of then uh, the province of Asia, Roman Asia, which today would be modern-day Turkey. And he's there for seven days. And there's a list of people. The ministry team's pretty big now. You know, they just start out with Paul and Silas at the beginning of the second ministry journey. Now they have several people. And, and Luke doesn't mention himself other than the word us, uh, as a good chronicler would do. And, uh, but he mentions all these other people by name who go ahead um, of Paul uh, to wait for him as he then travels from Philippi to Troas. Starting with verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, and Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And Paul kept on talking. He was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then left. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. So Paul is zealously pursuing, passing on knowledge and wisdom from the Lord for these people who are in Troas. 
and it's the first day of the week, and they're gathered together to worship, and the, the phrase breaking of bread uh, actually refers uh, the way, they, the way the, uh, that uh, Luke here in the book of Acts refers to the uh, Lord's Supper, the having of the bread and the wine, remembering what the Lord did. And uh, so it wasn't necessarily a big meal, although it could be as part of a fellowship meal, where they would then, as part of that meal, remember with bread and wine the things that Jesus had done. So um, they were gathered together for that purpose. And I'm guessing it might have been, it could have been middle of the day, the midday meal. It could have been evening meal, done at about sundown. In any case, uh, 6 p.m. or noon, uh, the, the amount of time that Paul is speaking to them and teaching them is, is, is significant because he's still teaching at midnight. So if it was 6 p.m. and he's still teaching at midnight, he's been going for six hours as a minimum. Uh, and they emphasize that it's dark because there are lamps. And Paul is not taking into account uh, the weakness of people's bodies and people's body clocks. You know, midnight, it's time to be going to sleep, especially if you worked. Okay? And because, you know, they work from dawn to dusk. They don't do an eight-hour day or a six-hour day. They work from dawn to dusk. And uh, so here, here's this guy, Eutychus, young man. And uh, he didn't make a good choice either. He got all comfortable on, in a window frame. He fell into a deep sleep. And as Paul keeps on talking past midnight, uh, in his sleep, he, his body leans out the window and down he goes three floors, three stories. It's about 30 feet. And he's not surprising that he died. Paul uh, goes down after it's determined that he's, been, that he's died from the fall. Paul goes down and, and embraces him and the Holy Spirit heals and resurrects the young man brings him back to physical life. Paul happily announces this and then proceeds to continue teaching. Now there is a break. They have a meal. Um, maybe it's Paul's tired. He needs some refreshment. I don't know. But they, they, they have a meal. And then Paul continues teaching until daybreak. So he's he's been preaching to midnight. That's six hours. Now he continues teaching from after this event is over, until the, the sun starts to come up over the horizon. So that's maybe another six hours. These people are serious about learning about Jesus. This is no 30-minute lesson that most people in America get on a Sunday morning. This is 12 hours of instruction. It's like a, a mini-seminar, and all compressed into one night. Paul's voice may have given out, which is the only reason he stopped.
Plus, he was planning to leave, which he he actually does. Uh, starting with verse thirteen. So, but we going ahead <clears throat> to the ship, um, set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board. Um, for so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Essos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of that church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves, for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed 
with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So here we have Paul's farewell address to the elders of Ephesus. Ephesus was a thriving and expanding church. He had appointed elders and showed them how to choose other elders from among their group as their needs for elders increased. And so he, I'm going to capture some of the highlights of this address. First, he talks about serving the Lord. Uh, serving the Lord for Paul meant sacrifice, not just monetary sacrifice, not just um, being in danger, although he does talk about that in his letters. Um, he wept while he was serving the Lord. He wept over the sorrow of uh, and the distress of the people who became Christians. Uh, he wept uh, for when uh, false teachers whom he had to refute uh, tried to uh, lead them down a path that wasn't the correct path. Uh, so there was emotional sorrow as part of the cost of his ministry, not just the stress and distress that he experienced. And he ministered in humility. Now, Paul was a very well-educated man. Um, he spoke Greek, he spoke Latin, he spoke Aramaic, and he spoke Hebrew as a minimum. But he, he served the Lord with humility. Now, Humility, in the, in, the, in the sense that the scriptures say here, um, means that he had an accurate assessment of his place in God's work. He didn't think more highly of himself than he ought, so he wasn't arrogant and proud. He also was not deprecating of himself. He didn't intentionally talk as if he was lower than where God had him in God's economy. Both are, uh, are wrong. It is wrong to be arrogant, to look, to consider yourself better than the place God has put you. It's also wrong to demean and deprecate yourself because in that sense, you are, uh, you're saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> placing me where he's placed me. So true humility understands where God expects you to be in his, uh, in his order and to be satisfied with that, not to think lower or higher of yourself. And he also mentions that he had lots of trials, most of which were caused by Jews who did not like the fact that he was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And he did not shrink. That's the word he is then is used here. Shrink to he was not he was not timid. Uh, he didn't avoid 
opportunities to declare. And so he made sure that he confidently declared anything from the scope of the truth of God that would help the Ephesians while he was encouraging and training them over a three-year period. <clears throat> and he solemnly, with seriousness, testified to both the Jews and the Greeks that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, he's on this journey to Jerusalem. And even though he planned to go to Jerusalem to deliver this uh, gift to the destitute people in Judea and Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, who were probably being economically persecuted by the rulers of the Jewish religion from their brothers and sisters in Macedonia and in Greece. That's what he planned to do. But as he's making this journey, he's getting prophetic words from mm -hmm. Uh, from the Holy Spirit through the churches as he's visiting these cities on the way, saying that he's going to suffer imprisonment and affliction when he gets to Jerusalem, although there are no details. But his response to this proclamation to him through the Holy Spirit is, well, my life doesn't matter as much to me as completing the mission that God has given me. I've had lots of affliction all the way through. More affliction is not going to deter me from completing my mission, which is to speak about Jesus as the Messiah to every person, Jew or Greek, who has not yet heard. And even with the threat, or the promise in this case, of imprisonment and affliction awaiting him in Jerusalem, he's still executing his plan. His plan doesn't end with Jerusalem. His plan, in, after whatever happens in Jerusalem, he's planning to go to Rome. And from Rome, he plans to go to Spain to, to complete his mission. But he knows that he's unlikely to return to Ephesus. So he tells the leaders, the church leaders from Ephesus, just just letting you know, you're not going to see my face again. This is our this is our last opportunity for personal in-person fellowship. But I declared the whole purpose of God to you. Now that's important. The whole purpose of God. He makes a special case here. He, he doesn't just say, I gave you the gospel message. He tells them, I, I told you the whole purpose of God. The evangelical community, I think, in the United States has in, in some way diluted in their way they present the gospel, they've deluded, they have excluded some of the less um, pleasant aspects of the whole purpose of God. Uh, they talk about God as love, which he is. I mean, lots of, lots of scripture verses that, stay, that say that. 
but they over they don't bring in to their message the judgment that's coming or the anger that God has against sinful men or the wrath that is stored up for people who fail to confess Jesus as Lord or the power that God has to make things happen the way he expects them to happen and I think they do people a a disservice when they don't talk about the whole purpose of God which includes judgment it's partly a warning and partly a promise of forgiveness if you don't talk about the punishment what need of there is forgiveness so Paul makes it makes it a special case here to say yeah, I've given you the whole purpose of God and then he goes on to be to warn them I'm not coming back and there will be false teachers people will come from outside of Ephesus Paul had experience in that people coming from Judea early in his ministry came from Judea to places he had gone like Galatia and then had told the people they had to be circumcised and they had to become Jews that was inside the church but that was wrong so those people who may have been sincere but they were sincerely wrong were were leading the Galatians in that in that letter uh, down a path that was not what God wanted and so Paul knows that these things can happen and they he warns them to be alert how does one be alert well one has to um, know what the truth is first be like the Bereans were when Paul visited Berea he gave them the gospel message and they went and searched the scriptures they wanted to know that what Paul was saying was consistent with what the scriptures taught and they were commended for that so that's part one you have to be you have to understand what the truth really is so they had to have taken notes during the time Paul was teaching them they had to refer to those notes they had to go back to the scriptures that they had the the Hebrew Bible and then they compared that truth with which they were confident to what they're being told by anybody coming from outside saying that they're Christian teachers make sure that and we should do this today you shouldn't just take my word for this you should be looking in the scriptures and saying is what this guy's saying is it is it consistent with what the Bible actually says and he also warns them that uh, false teachers are going to come up from within the church even in Ephesus somebody will start saying something in Ephesus that will not be true and they have to be alert for that they had to be listening paying attention comparing it with what they know is the truth and in the case of fellowship within their own fellowship they need to be able to correct people who are in error to bring them into the complete truth not as a judgment or a condemnation just as a way to bring them into complete truth and that's the other part of being alert know what the real truth is and pay attention to what people are saying and compare it to what you know is the truth and he emphasizes Paul does that um, he worked with his own hands to provide his own 
logistical support so that he must not make any demand for money from the church that he was working with for himself and for his entire ministry team. And he says, follow my example. And remember what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So work with your own hands. Make sure you have enough for yourself and your family and, and more so that now you can share what God has provided you with those who may need something. And that's the end of our lesson today in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, the, next, the next time we're together, we'll be talking about Paul's arrival in Jerusalem. God bless you all.